The following podcast is brought to you by Babe Media. I'm Emma Clark. And I'm Kelsey Burdett. You know those people you follow that just seem to get it? They have the Instagram content that you actually watch. They own the brands that you just can't stop buying from. And they tell the stories you actually remember. The kinds of people that leave you wondering, how do they do that? Well, we follow them too. And we have the exact same question. Join us as we interview the people that leave us thinking, oh, they get it. Hi, everybody. Okay, we just had such a fun conversation with Gabby Uyoa. We really wanted to bring Gabby on because she's great at storytelling. She's so authentic and she's really fun to talk to. So there's that. Also, we're very interested in the freelance economy because like we mentioned in the episode, so many people don't want to work a nine to five anymore. Mm -hmm. They want to work for themselves. And so we wanted to have a conversation around that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's actually really interesting because Gabby grew up and she talks a little bit about this. Like her mom was entrepreneurial. She thought that big print was the way to go. And then ultimately landed in like limbo land of the freelance world. But that perspective is incredibly valuable because like she just knows what works. Seeing it from the big companies and the big publications helps you narrow your focus. And so I feel like for anyone that's curious about the world of freelancing, these next two episodes are killer. Absolutely. So yeah, in this one, like we said, we dive into freelancing. We dive into how Gabby's navigated things so far. We go in a ton of different directions and it's really fun. So let's get into it. Let's do it. Welcome back, everyone. We've got a fun conversation for you today. Today we're chatting with Gabby Uyoa. Uyoa? Yes, that was perfect. That was perfect. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. Well, Gabby, thank you so much for being here. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I love going on other people's podcasts. Like this is, it's so fun for me to be on the other side of it. Do you know what the best part is, is not having to think about where the conversation's going. It's almost like you're in the passenger seat of a car and you're just along for the ride. A hundred percent. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the feeling's mutual. Like we said before we hit recording, it's nice to chat with another fellow podcaster. So to start off the conversation, Gabby, give our audience a background on your career journey so far and and then where you are today. Yeah. It's always such a loaded question because I'm like, do I start from the internships? Like, Should I start from the very beginning? And I kind of always do because I think it really explains how I got to where I am today. I say, yeah. Go for it. Amazing. Love it. I'm very long-winded, so bear with me. <laughs> but basically, to wrap it into a bow, I grew up in a house with a mom who is a female founder. She's an entrepreneur, CEO of her own business, and also an immigrant. And both my parents were born in Cuba. And I always mention that just because I think growing up in an immigrant household, like at least in my experience, there was such an emphasis on work. And mm-hmm. I had a job, a summer job, since I was 12. Like that was always the thing. And once I got to college, I knew that summer internships were just going to be a thing that I was doing. It was like not really a conversation. And I think at that point I was already so driven to work. For me, I always Mm -hmm. looked at school as what got me to a job. I never really wanted to go get a master's. I never really want to ever go to school after college. It was like, Mm -hmm. I just want to work. And very, I was very fortunate to um, 
be in a position where I had support, where I could take unpaid internships, which is something that I always like to mention when I talk about where I got to where I am, because especially in magazines and in fashion, which is sort of the world that I came from, there's a huge barrier to entry because most of those internships are unpaid. Yeah. Hopefully now it's changing. I think some of it is changing a little bit, but hopefully it'll get better because it's just, it's ridiculous. But when I was in college, I sort of, I always knew that I wanted to work in magazines. I was always obsessed with writing. It was sort of my escape. And magazines was always it for me. I was like, just, there was something about that. It was a tangible product that touched so many people in such different ways that I was just fascinated by. And so when I was in school, I went to GW in DC. I started applying to internships in New York and I got my first real like magazine internship at this magazine called Editorialist. And that magazine was founded by two women who had come from L. So I know they had come from this like big world. It was like everything I wanted to get to. And the Hearst Condé Nast world seems so like far-fetched for me that I was like, this is beautiful. Like, okay, this is the perfect stepping stone. (laughs) And I always talk about my time at Editorialist because there were, I think like five people on the team and three interns and we did literally everything. And we did so much and it was honestly fashion magazine boot camp and i was obsessed with it like i became just i fell so deeply in love with that world even though it was me it was literally devil wears prada like lugging oh bags of clothing through the subway in a 100 degree heat and i was Stop. like give me more i'm obsessed with yeah. this i love it and so cool after that experience, that sort of solidified in my brain, like, okay, magazines is my one true love. And whenever I talk to people who are in college about, you know, internships and things like that, I always mention like, okay, even if you know what you want to do, maybe take an internship in something that you're not sure about because you mm. never know. I think it's just yeah. important to weed out the stuff that you don't want to do. So I did, I did that as well. I took an internship the following summer at Oscar de la Renta and I did international sales. And I was like, mm, hey, don't like the numbers. Not for <laughs> me. Like not, not, not my vibe. And then when I graduated from college, it was pretty clear. I was like, Connie Nast is the goal. Connie Nast had been the goal for me since I was like 12. Like I was that freak of a child who knew what Connie Nast was. I was like, this is, I don't care what magazine I'm at. I need to work for one of their brands. And I moved to New York without a job, which took a little bit of convincing on my mom's end. I was like, look, this isn't like my friends in finance where they got a job offer at the end of their summer internship a year ago. Like in media, you just... You, you get hired and within the week you start. So mm-hmm. I was like, please just have faith in me. I'll get, I'll do freelance work. I'll be making money, but please have faith in me. And thank God for like, I'm so blessed to have my mom because she was like, yes, go do it. And so I moved and immediately met with someone at HR. And long story short, I was doing some freelance work for the New York Times, just like doing random fashion week stuff, Damn. helping a brand with their first like fashion week show. And I was always just sending the guy at HR my resume every two weeks being like, hey, because he had told me, look, I like you, but we don't have jobs. And I was like, fine, don't worry about it. I'm going to keep in touch. And then towards the end of that summer, I got a cold call asking if I wanted to interview to be Amy Assey's assistant at Architectural Digest. And I was like, um, yes. As someone who grew up watching The Hills, I was like, oh I knew who gosh. Amy was. She founded Teen oh Vogue. I was obsessed with her. I was like, yes, please. So and cool. That interview process went pretty quickly, got that job, and yeah, the rest is history. I, I was there for two years working as her assistant. It was the most incredible experience. I couldn't have asked for a better mentor and teacher and boss, especially in Connie Nass, you're not 
always blessed to have an incredibly kind boss who motivates you and wants you to succeed. And Amy is just that. Like she loves to mentor her assistants and get us to a place where we really feel like we're thriving and and getting a lot about the experience. And so while I was there, I was her assistant, which, you know, you're on all the time. Your life is dedicated basically to someone else. Mm -hmm. Um, But on top of that, I was also writing for the magazine because she knew that I wanted to write, which was awesome that I got to do that. And then fast forward, March 2020 comes, like everybody else in the world. I'm like, okay, I'm going back to Miami for two weeks. The office is going to be closed for two weeks. Um, I go back home. And obviously, that wasn't the case. I was very lucky that I was never laid off, which was very, very wonderful and rare during that time. But I think like everybody in the world, the pandemic really put things into perspective for me. And my time was sort of coming to an end, I think. When I went into the job, Amy and I had had the conversation of like, no one really stays in the role for two years, for more than two years, just because she wants you to grow. She wants you to have your Mm -hmm. own life. So my two years were coming up. I was like, what do I want to do? These aren't necessarily the stories that I want to tell. And I think during the pandemic, my voice became a lot clearer. It became a lot more apparent what I wanted to talk about and the types of stories and and people that I wanted to highlight. And I just couldn't see that happening for me at AD. Mm And frankly, at Condé Nast, I think I had sort of been in a situation where, you know, like I saw the wizard type of thing. Like mm-hmm. I pulled back yeah. the curtain. I think I saw too much. And I was like, you know what? There's a lot of red tape here. A lot's going on here right now. Let me just take a step back. It's always going to be there. And Amy really reaffirmed that and reassured me of that, of like, she was so supportive of my plan of going freelance and was like, it's always going to be here. Like mm-hmm. you always have a spot. It's always going to be here. So we've got you. Don't worry. And I ended up resigning in October of 2020 and I went full-time freelance and that's where I am now. I'm still a full-time freelancer and then I ended up launching my podcast Thoughts May Vary about three months ago, I think. Okay. Yeah, about three months ago. I didn't ago. know it was only three months ago. I know. I mm-hmm. agree. We have, we just put out our 12th episode what? and that's all about mental health and just destigmatizing the narrative, which was um, to rewind a little bit, sort of what that was like my aha moment during the pandemic of like, this is what I need to be talking about. It was mainly mental health and just sort of connecting us all and finding that invisible string that, that humanizes us and connects us and just highlighting those types of stories. Long winded answer, but that's where I am now. (laughs) No, that's amazing. I have so many questions. So first of all, when I worked at Shopify, I worked as a coordinator for a year and a half. And so basically an assistant and it was honestly the best experience. Like, I think it is such a great way to start your career because you get exposure to such great leaders, but I agree. Then it has an expiry point and it's almost like you use that as leverage and you build a bunch of experience to then get to be able to do what you want. I'm curious, how did this aha moment of mental health focusing on that, where did that come from? So it was actually when I was still working at AD full-time, a friend of mine who is the co-founder or one of the co-founders of Mad Happy. I'm not sure if you, I feel like everyone knows who Mad Happy is. Mad Happy. So one of my friends um, is one of the co-founders and he had reached out to me and asked me if I would write for their blog about my personal mental health experience. And I had never spoken about any of that really publicly, especially in my writing. It just wasn't what I had done, there wasn't really the space to do that at AD um, at the time, the types of stories at least that I was writing. And I wrote it. I was terrified. Mm-hmm. And when it came out, not only did I just feel this like giant weight off my shoulders, but also just hearing the response. Because look, I'm the type of person that 
whenever I do something or whenever I accomplish something, I no longer think it's special. Like I no longer think it's difficult to do. Like I thought Kanye Nass was never going to be in the picture for me. And then once I got it, I was like, anyone can work here. If I can do it, anyone can work here. Mm-hmm. And that's how I felt about writing that piece where I was like, mm-hmm. Who, who's going to care? Like no one's going to read this. If anyone's going to read it, it's going to be like people from my high school that like want to know the gossip. Like it's who's going to read this. Right. And I just got such positive feedback from people saying, you know, thank you. Or I saw myself in what you said. And that's all I've ever wanted through my writing is for somebody to feel somewhat validated and seen and heard. And so that's, I think, when that really clicked in my brain of this is what I need to be doing. And in retrospect, I'd always been searching for that because the type of writing that I'd always done leading up to that point, I was always trying to find the intersection of something. Whether I was talking about fashion, I was like, okay, how is this connected to our political climate right now or our culture right now? If I was talking about design at AD, I was always trying to f- tell the story of the person in the house, not about the house. Like, I was always just trying to find that intersection. And so that moment really just solidified everything in my brain and kind of gave me that click of like, this is what you need to be doing. Are you a Brene Brown fan? Love. You love? Okay, good. So she, I was listening to a podcast. This is like the nerdiest thing I'm going to say this whole episode. I was going skiing on Sunday and I had an hour drive to the ski hill and I'm sitting here listening to her and Simon Sinek going back and forth on this topic of vulnerability. And I like, I had to like stay focused on the road. I was getting so into this podcast, you wouldn't believe it. And so she was talking all about vulnerability without boundaries is reckless, right? Vulnerability Mm. with boundaries is like an aha moment. It's like an awakening, enlightenment, whatever you want to call it. When you're writing for some audience that you isn't even defined yet, you don't know who's going to be reading the piece. How do you decide what level of vulnerability is productive versus like scary? Or maybe it's all scary. I don't know. No, that's a great question because it's something that I'm really trying to figure out. My, We always joke, my friends and I, that I just like sh- overshare way too much on the internet. That's like my, <laughs> my brand. And there's something to be said about, and I think it's the same way that like trolls work. When you're behind mm-hmm. a screen, you don't have as much fear because it's not, you can't see the people in front of you. You're not mm-hmm, reading yeah. this to an audience. So I think it's a lot easier for me, even on the podcast to just like, talk. Meadow, my co-host and I have had to edit so many. Now we're much better at it. But in the beginning, mm-hmm. we would listen back and I was like, yeah, you got to cut like <laughs> half of that because that is so inappropriate to say. Um, so I think, I think I'm think i definitely learning just about... I'm trying to put faces to the people, to the imaginary people reading my stuff and okay. remembering exactly what you said, like what's actually productive. Because mm-hmm. I can sit here and tap into my inner narcissist and like talk about myself in a piece for a thousand words. But like, is that actually going to help anyone? Mm -hmm. Maybe not. Maybe. So it's just about finding that, that sort of fine line. And honestly, (laughs) I don't think I've ever told anyone this. So there you go. I have a notes on my phone that I call for the book because one of my goals one day is to write a book. And so there have been some times where I've wanted to put something in a story. And I'm like, that is so personal. Like, birdie like doesn't care and I'll just like write I'll take that paragraph out and I'll put it in my notes and I'm like it's for the book one day it's for the book save it for the book it's self-serving it's for the book (laughs) so I think that's how I've created that boundary is like is it for the book or is it for a website yeah Yeah. oh my gosh (laughs) I love it I can't wait for your book whenever it comes out same who knows when that's gonna ever happen but (laughs) it's on the vision board it's gonna have like the tea yeah let's let's hope 
no, I feel the same way with our podcast, actually, like not knowing who's listening to it makes it a lot easier to put it out. And then right? I'll have like a friend message me and I instantly get so red. I'm like, oh that my God. Just to that just happened to me. That just, ha- <laughs> I woke up with a text from my friend. I put out an episode this week that was all about um, my experience going to the Hoffman process, which is like basically therapy camp. I listened camp. to this one. Oh, you did? Yeah. Thank you. And that one, I because st- the thing is like, you know, m- the audience is growing Mm-hmm. But at least on my Instagram, like I'm acutely aware of that the majority of the people that follow me know me personally yeah, in some way. Yeah. And that story is so personal to me. And I woke up with a text from one of my closest friends from high school just being like, I didn't know you felt this way. And like, I'm sorry that you did. And, you know, I love you and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, <gasps> like, it was the sweetest thing I could have read. But I also was like, I forget that you guys are going to listen. Like, I forget yeah. that people are going to know. It freaks me out every time yeah. so I I hear you I yeah hear you. yeah Brene Brown to go back to her she calls it a vulnerability hangover mm. and she actually said it was the same thing when her t- um when her TED talk went viral like she uh, thought no one would watch it and that's what made her be able to speak about it and then it got so many millions of views that she said she just like shut down for you feel like naked and period. afraid you do yeah. it's like it's it's really it's really especially for somebody like me who has like it's it's funny because I I'm making a career talking about my feelings on the internet, but yeah. I met out my coast and I always say, like, we always laugh at each other because we're like, people think we're being so vulnerable, but like, we're not because everything that we're talking about for the most part, we've worked through in some capacity. Uh, it's not like an existing thing. We actually make an effort on the podcast to have a segment in the beginning where we talk about what we're currently working through, because if not, we won't talk about it. Mm-hmm. We talk about like something that I'm so desens- like desensitized to. Yeah. And, and so we always joke, we're like, yeah, like everyone thinks we're being so vulnerable, but like, we're just like trauma dumping and we're so used to it by now, which is like (laughs) not healthy that when we actually do show a piece of ourselves, especially for someone like me who finds that like terrifying, I, it's that, I get that like vulnerability hangover. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. I see that. Honestly, I think like it makes me think of um, a session. So we at my like day job, we have these career coaches that you can book time with. And I've been meeting with mine. I wonder if he's going to listen to this episode. So I'm going to be careful what I say. But like (laughs) he he's just so good at pressing where it hurts. And I can tell that I'm uncomfortable going into every single one of our sessions because he doesn't want to talk about the things that I've already processed and come to resolutions with. He literally has like a saying where he's like, if you already know the answer, we don't need to talk about it. Like, let's move on. Let's go to what you don't know the answer to and let's dig there. I'm like, Marvin, it hurts. And he doesn't have any sympathy. <laughs> Marvin. <laughs> Marvin. Okay, but you need to give me an update on Marvin then because this is not my latest update. So we'll get that later. Yeah. Um, okay, to pivot a little bit, I'm really interested on how you've built up freelancing and maybe what some of your tips are. Because I think so many people, like you said, through the pandemic have left their full-time job and decided they don't want to work a nine to five and that they do want to build up more of a freelance career. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is, I don't even know how to start on this topic. I guess like what have been your, some of your biggest lessons or some of your tips? Yeah. Um, I will. The first thing that I did before deciding to actually take the plunge and do it was I looked at my financial situation smart. I feel like people overlook that and they're like, just follow your dreams. And I'm like, yeah, "Yeah, but rent. So I looked at where I was financially. And frankly, I was in an industry that am and still continue to be in an industry that pays 
really poorly. Mm. And especially a company like Condé Nast, which should be paying their employees a lot more. And I, when I left, they were doing some sort of like analysis because okay. there was this drama. I mean, you can like read about it online. I'm not like spilling secrets here, but there was this drama where like this Google doc got leaked to all of the employees that had people's salaries. Oh no. And the discrepancies were actually insane. And I was quite frankly making so little money that I was like, um, I know what freelance rates are because I had made some friends in that industry. And I, without shame, asked. I'd be like, look, I'm thinking no, about going good. freelance. Yeah. Do you mind me asking what your rate is per story? Or like what your do you charge hourly? Like I had no idea. And I asked people. And whenever someone asks me, I tell them so openly. Yeah. And I quickly realized I was like, oh, I'm going to be I'm going to double my income in five seconds because Whoa. I'm making so little money. But I, <laughs> doubling my income from what I was making was not groundbreaking. But <laughs> to be clear, but I was working. My salaries was the assistant to the editor in chief, but I was doing like three different jobs and I had yeah. a quota like I was, I was, I had a weekly quota for stories for the website. So I was like, I'm doing the job of an editor also. Like this is not right. And so that was the first thing. And I always tell people that I'm like, make sure you know what rates are, make sure you know what's standard and kind of hold your ground in that. Um, yeah. So ask the questions. And what other tips? Mm, something that I actually recently learned, and this is something that I learned, you know, over the past month, but really has been drilled into my brain the past week is that don't harp on the exact thing that you want to do freelance. Like for me, for example, I was like, okay, I want to freelance write and I want to write for magazines. Okay, that's great. But not every magazine is going to pay you a, a livable rate. To You're going to have to write like 30 stories a month to be paying, to be making at least the type of like what I want to be making monthly, right? So what else can I do? And this was the thing that no one talked mm. about that my freelance writer friends have been cluing me into half of them take copywriting jobs. Like they're, mm -hmm. they're all doing copywriting for all these like cool brands that are coming up or they're, you know, doing more branded stuff or they're doing stuff on Instagram. It's like there's diversifying your revenue streams as a freelancer, I think is so valuable and important, especially if you do have the time to do it. Yeah. I I get that in theory. I don't think it's as easy as it sounds. And so I want to go all. Yeah, I want to go back to like how do you get clients? Like you even said when you were going out and like putting your yourself out there to even get this job in New York, you had some freelance work. How do you find these opportunities? Networking. Honestly, yeah. I I always tell people I'm like your network is everything because especially in an industry like this, it really matters. Like people people's inboxes are so inundated with pitches and messages that yeah. if they see a name that they recognize or referred to by whoever, that's going to catch their eye. Um, and while I had, you know, support financially when I was in college to take these unpaid internships, we didn't know. And it's not like my mom knew people in this industry. And mm -hmm. like, that's what got me jobs. It was I just stalked people on LinkedIn and re would reach out. Um, but post Connie Nast and freelance, the way that I've gotten jobs to answer your question is I've just continued to build that network. I've literally DM'd editors that I like their work on Instagram and have connected with them there, asked for an informational coffee. Um, frankly, people like talking about themselves. So yeah. you're usually gonna get an so answer. True. Um, just ask for their email and 
that's honestly that's that's how I've that's how I've done it. And and also I had people that had left Connie Nass that were willing to connect me with wherever they were working now. My my old boss Amy, like she was she played a huge role honestly when I left in we had a long call and she was like, what can I do for you? Like mm-hmm. with pen and paper and was just like making a list of names for me. And so that was incredible. So I always think no matter how small, if you're coming from like an assistant role or somewhere like how I had come from, please just take as much advantage and like suck everything you yeah. can out of that experience, no matter how quote unquote small you think the actual role is. Mm-hmm. I think when people see an assistant title, they're like, Eh, I don't want to do it, but and I says you have access to everything. Yes. <laughs> you have access to everything. Your your boss is essential. Like you're basically their bodyguard. You're their the first person that anyone meets before they meet your boss. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just really took as much out of that experience as I could, and and made really good relationships within that company, so that when I left, those people were willing to help me. Mm-hmm. Totally, it's so huge. It's like give, 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 prove yourself, and then you yeah. can take. Mm-hmm. And also it's, they've probably been in that position too, right? Like exactly. they've been early in their career before too. They know what it's like. Um, so yeah, I think like once you've proven yourself and worked hard, like you have that right to be able to take advantage of what you've earned for yourself. Like it, it only makes sense. And I think that's something that women in particular probably need a reminder of more than men. I feel like yeah, not to stereotype, but I feel like men often have no problem and women are like, oh, I, I don't want to, you know be a nuisance or I don't want to get in their way or whatever. And it's like, no, you've no get in their way. You've earned it. Have you seen those TikToks of like, there was this TikTok that I saw the other day that was this woman writing an email and it was like how I would write an email if I were a man. And it's like her deleting exclamation points and reframing things. And I always remind myself of that. I'm like, Abby, pretend you're a guy, pretend you're a man because they don't have shame for asking for things that they're not, not even entitled to. So Literally. I always I, exactly. So I go about it that way and I'm like, no, you've you've earned this. Don't be afraid to ask. And the worst that they'll say is no. Mm-hmm. And I think as women too, like like I said in the beginning, I'm I was very lucky to be at a magazine within such a big and established company like Connie Nass that actually had people who cared about each yeah. other and wanted to help them. They understood that there was room for everyone. And I think that's what happens is like people are like, oh, there can only be one of us at the top. And unfortunately, we see it a lot with women, especially in yeah. male-dominated industries when they're whenever one gets into the room, they're like, well, I'm the only one that can be in here. And I think that's first of all, just terrible karma. It and is second of all, untrue, right? Like yeah. pull people up with you. And that's something that I took away from my experience with Amy. It was like she just wanted to pull us all up with her. Yeah. That's like leadership, not management. And that's yeah, so, incredible so important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow, I love it. Well, I um, I could probably talk about this topic for a long time, but I want to move <laughs> into our quick hit questions. So what's going to happen in this next segment, Gabby, is we're going to go through some questions. They're all a little bit different. Just share with us the first thing that comes to your mind. And then we're going to do our best not to like turn this into a whole bunch of like mini podcast episodes like we normally do. (laughs) We're going to try and keep it moving along. Um, So my first question for you is what trait do you most attribute to all of your success? Mm, I think the (laughs) the first thing that came to my brain was my drive. Yeah. Love it. Hungry. That's important. Yeah. yeah. What gives you energy? Being alone. I am an extroverted or an introverted extrovert is the way that I say it. I need to have 
that one day a week where the blinds are never open to my apartment. I am alone binging TV, sitting on my couch. My space is so important to me. Like I need to feel at home. I need to feel cozy. I need to not talk to anybody. And then I need to like watch the sunset in peace by myself and like take a bath and go to sleep. I love being alone. Those are the best kind of days. Truly. I'm with you. You and Emma are kindred spirits in that way. (laughs) But I have to pull myself out of it because I will do it for too long. And then I'm like, oh my God, why am I single? (laughs) And I'm like, oh my God, because I don't leave my house. (laughs) They don't come knocking on my front door. What's happening? That's so weird. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. That could be a whole other podcast episode. Um, What's the... Oh, actually, no. I'm going to do a different question. Um, What is your advice for your younger self? Trust your intuition because it's probably right. Give me an example. I was just very, I talked about this in my Hoffman podcast episode. I was the type of person that I had to ask everybody for their opinion before like getting dressed in the morning. Like I couldn't do anything without asking a hundred people. And that led to a lot of poor choices and trying to please everybody first. And it, it set me up to be in my like very early 20s not knowing how to hear myself think, Ooh. which was terrible. Ooh. And it was a lot to take myself out of that. And so if I could just go back, I feel like just trust your instinct. Just yeah. just do what your your gut is telling you, please. Thank you. Yes. Oh my gosh. I relate to that so much. Me and Kelsey have this conversation a lot. Like I, I need to ask 8 million people before I make a decision. It's like, I know what I want to do. And sometimes, do you guys do this? Because sometimes I do it and I catch myself and I'm like, Gabby, why? Where you'll ask, you'll be like eating with a friend and like you won't really know what to talk about. And like, you'll just, you'll bring something up to talk about. And you're like, oh, what's your opinion? And then you end up harping on something that you like don't care about. You know what I mean? Or like, you don't need their opinion. But you just don't know what to talk about. Yes. Yes. Or I'll tell myself like, okay, this time I'm not going to ask for opinions. Like, I'm just, I know what I want. And then Mm -hmm. it just comes out like I just and the thing is like we're all different people we're all gonna we're all gonna have different reactions to situations and that might be the correct answer for your friend but that's not the correct answer for you and you just hearing your authentic voice is very difficult but once you get there hold on for dear life (laughs) truly okay I have I have like a a follow-up question on that so my immediate reaction is like when you need external validation, it's because you lack confidence in your own decision-making ability. I think that's like probably Mm -hmm. somewhat generally true. I don't think it's specific to both of you. How do you fix that? Like what, what needs to happen internally so that you can start trusting yourself and like building that confidence muscle over time? Career-wise, I'll keep you posted because I am (laughs) the poster child for imposter syndrome. Like I said, nothing that I do I think is special. I don't think any of it's important or I'm like anyone can do it. So especially because I'm young, I yeah, like I was saying, I don't think anything I do is special or important. And so I'm I'm working on that career-wise, especially because I am young. Yeah. Even though when I moved to LA, like not young anymore. Young here is like, you're 17. (laughs) I'm like the the old woman in the corner. But in my personal life, I really do attribute that to Hoffman, to be honest. And it was just doing a lot of work and therapy on myself and being very honest with myself and figuring out who I am. And I think once you have clear who you are and you have Mm. your voice clear, it sort of weeds out all the other noise kind of by itself. But then I always tell people, I'm like, try meditating. And I know that people, 
are like, ugh, I don't want to. Meditation has a weird connotation and it's very misunderstood, in my opinion. Like, you don't need mm. to sit and close your eyes for 30 minutes. And I think people are always like, oh, I, but I can't stop thinking. I'm like, that's, that's the point. Like, the yeah. way we were talking about this recently um, on the podcast, and I think it's on the, on the Headspace app. They always t- they tell you, they're like, picture your thoughts like the clouds just moving by. The cloud comes in. Yeah, you acknowledge the cloud, and the cloud leaves. Like you're not supposed to not hear anything when you're meditating, but I think that it just sort of gives you that moment of peace to actually hear what's going on in your brain. Yeah, yes, and to not to pay be attention. in it, but to observe it. Yes, exactly. That's that's the yeah. perfect way to say it. Like you're a third party, sort of watching yourself. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I think that is it's it's building that awareness so you can catch those mm-hmm. thoughts, and so they don't have as much power over you. I think that is a really good way. Yeah. Um, to work through those things. And I just, Hoffman's on my bucket list and you're just making me want to go even more. <laughs> I think it's like, it really was the best thing, but also journaling to add to what I was saying, journaling for uh, me is, is honestly even more valuable than meditating. And I think it's cause mm-hmm. I haven't gotten to a place in meditation where I'm like, I don't know. I, I, I have work to do with that, but with journaling, it's been my thing since I was a kid where I would just write and write and write and write and write. And it was like my release and I didn't even notice that I was doing it because I was sad. It was just like, you know, when like you, some, someone wants to like hit something, I was like, I need to write. <laughs> like I need to like write it out. <laughs> you meant to do yeah. what you're doing. That was just Thanks. like, that's your calling. <laughs> Thank you. But I, sometimes I feel like it's the only thing I actually like know how to do. So I'm like, okay, I don't really have a choice. <laughs> do you have, do you have a specific like journaling framework that you use or is it free writing? What does that look like? Not really. I think it depends. I'm not really a prompt person. Sometimes okay. if I'm doing like, a 21 day meditation, they'll do prompts, which I think is pretty helpful. Like the Chopra app does that a lot and those I enjoy. But normally I just free write literally whatever comes to my brain. I used to do it in the morning. Now I do it. No, I used to do it at night. Now I do it in the morning or at night. It's just like whenever I feel like it. And now that I'm like working from home all the time, I have my journal here so I can just like do it whenever. But no, I don't really have a framework. I think it's just like figuring out what works for you because people like the like five minute journal where it's like, I'm grateful for these three things. And I think that's a great place to start if you're like uncomfortable journaling, which I hear you. Like I, up until this year, I wouldn't even like put people's names in my journal because I had this like weird fear that someone was going to like steal it and read it. So... (laughs) Which is like not going to happen. That's like every movie out there. That's what they tell you is going to happen. So you're just preparing Mm -hmm. for it. Or you're just like scared to see your own thoughts, which I think was part of my issue. Like I was, Mm. I I was not being fully honest with myself and I didn't want to admit certain things. So I think if you're freaked out by journaling, that's normal. And maybe start with with the prompts. I like it. Okay, getting us back on track to our questions, even though I want to keep talking about this. Um, what's the last book that you read? The last book that I read and finished, because I'm a big, I'm going to start you and never finish you, um, was <sighs> My Year of Rest and Relaxation. Which I feel like so all my good. friends were reading it at the same time. So good. So good. I highly recommend it. it. It's, it's such really like, dark, though. Dark, is yes. It? It's dark. I would not get that from the title. Well, like the premise, yeah. yeah. I mean, you can read this on the back of the book. I'm not giving a spoiler, yeah, but it's basically the, the high level. It's this like wealthy girl in New York who decides that she wants to take a year to sleep, and so she just takes like a cocktail of drugs every night in order to do it. And it's like the story of that playing out. Um, so it's, it's so really dark. 
but it's really good. And I'm also not normally a fiction person. And I read that book because I was actively trying to read more fiction because I get stuck in the like, I love personal essays. I love like books by comedians and things like that. And then I also love the like self-help books. And sometimes it just like doesn't take you out of reality and it feels like homework. So I was like, I need fiction in my life. And that one was amazing. I'm going to add that. that. Yeah, it's a good one. That's exactly why I picked it up too. It was like during early COVID and I was like, I need an escape from what is happening around me. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a good book for that for sure. The ending. (gasps) Don't tell me, don't tell me. No, I won't, but it ends and you're just like, like you can't turn the page. You're like, it's uh, it's over. Does she does good. she commit suicide? No. Okay. No. But trigger warning for anyone reading it, like it does involve a lot of like that type of topic yeah. and yeah. just like dark yeah. stuff. Well, when you say dark, like that's where my head goes, especially if there's like um, pill cocktails. I forget what you just called it, but I feel like that's not light stuff. No, it's not. You figure out what's going to happen though. Like I think like a chapter before the ending, you like get a hunch and you're like, you're selling this really well. I want to go get it right now. (laughs) Get it. And it's, it's a, it's a short read. It's, it's easy. Okay. 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 Adding that to my list. What's one thing you don't understand? Oh my God. There are so many things I don't understand. The first thing that came to my brain, because I've been thinking about it so much is investing. Like I want to understand it. And I feel like I am wasting like I feel like I'm gonna wake up in 20 years and be like I could have had so much more money if I was like yeah. investing mm-hmm. my money properly well, so that's something that I really want to learn about this year I have two yeah. book I have two book recommendations for you oh what are they rich dad poor dad okay of course that's like money mindset okay okay the next one money is with, um, money master the game by Tony Robbins I know I don't even want to hear it I know it's Tony Robbins I know everyone's gonna say whatever they're gonna say the reason I like him is not because he's the best financial advisor in the world but because the way he communicates about money makes it make sense and so those are okay. the two if you need a third I don't know okay. how if you start books and don't finish them maybe a third is a good idea the yeah. next one is the psychology of money okay that's that's all about how to make your money not necessarily grow, but how like psychologically you can be okay with the decisions that you make. It's almost like it's like making it not stressful oh. so you're not losing sleep. Oh, I love that. I was yeah. recently trying to do because I'm like a big like abundance mentality person. Yeah. And I've been trying to get into that more with money and something that like I was reading was not to have that like panic when you open your bank account. <laughs> like when you go to look at it and you're like, no, 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 I'm going to be fine. Cause there's gonna be money in there. And like, obviously you're not, it's not how manifestation works, but I don't know. I've been trying, <laughs> I like the mentality thing. So maybe I'll, that's a good thing to couple is like the actual, um, Bingo. yeah, like the, I'll read them at the same time. The, what's it called? It's like the actual strategy. Like the and then you couple that with like the mentality. I yeah. like that. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. And we need to bring on some investing in crypto experts onto the show because this is such a common answer. So oh, we, is need, it? To, we okay. need to get it for the community. <laughs> why is it like a man thing? Do you know I why? Know. And that's the thing. They talk about it in their conversations. Instead of talking about their feelings, which maybe they should, mm. they talk about money. <laughs> like, let's talk it's, about crypto. And I'm like, have you been to therapy? Have you heard of therapy? No. Literally, sweetheart, get a therapist. Oh my god! It's true, and actually, the reason that I decided to go into this like absolute deep dive is we were walking with a friend, and she was like, "Yeah, like when I talk about, or when I come into the room, my brothers and my dad stop talking about money." 
And I heard that. I'm like, that can't be true. And it is. And like, it's, I started asking people about it. It's a super common experience. And like, I've had enough. I mean, it's extremely sexist. And I think it's, I grew up in a house where like my, my, the men in the household, like my dad and my stepdad were very much like talking about money is like tacky. Don't, it's rude. Whereas my mom is like, "Mm -mm, you need to know exactly how to like run your money and have your own money. So we need to ask me any question you want, which I think is really valuable because I think like historically women were kept out of those conversations, not because women like couldn't make money, but because they didn't want women to learn how to make money because then who was going to cook them dinner? Totally. When they got home. Mm-hmm. And yes. times have changed. Yeah. No. Thank goodness. Yeah. No. And we get to be part of the change. <laughs> we sure do. And that starts with figuring out our money, abundance mindset, learning the strategies, and just making it happen. I love it. Absolutely. Can't be that hard. <laughs> okay. Back to the questions. We are not doing okay. well and not. We can do this. It's, it's okay. The conversation's great, so it's fun. Um, what's a brand that you're loving right now? Mm, can I give you two? Absolutely. Sure. Okay, great. And then I won't like harp on them. Um, Necessaire. I'm obsessed with <gasps> all of their products. Yes. I just love they how just clean need to it come is. On the podcast. Oh my god, so good. Um, I just bought way too much stuff from them the other day, but it's just all clean. It's good. My skin doesn't react weird to yep. like the the body wash and the um, everything. And then Ceremonia. I am yes. obsessed with that brand and I'm obsessed with their founder, Baba. She came on, right? She, she, did. she did. Okay. I'm, I'm obsessed with her too. I'm obsessed. I have just such an obsession with brands who not only are clean beauty, but are their founder's story is ingrained into the ethos. Agreed. And also just being a fellow Latina, like I love seeing Latinas in the industry and like a hair care line that is made for us mm-hmm. is incredible. And I'm obsessed and my hair has never smelled better or felt better. It's just what the world needed. Obsessed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Love her. Love her. Love her. Love her. Love. Yeah. Necessary. That's one that's come up a lot recently. Oh, I'm sure. They're like doing big things right now. The body serum is actually life-changing. It's incredible. I feel so chic putting like a hyaluronic acid serum all over my entire body. Yes. And then following it up with their their moisturizer. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. Last question. Who do you think gets it? Mm. Okay, I'm gonna say this. Well, she does, but I she came to my brain. I had dinner with her last night. My friend Dana Dang, she founded this company. It's called Digital Media Architects, and they do everything from like influencer like seating and partnerships to social planning and content creation to just like honestly managing your brand and like building their voice. But she is just the definition of someone who sees everything so big picture and is so good at it, but never overlooks the details. And every brand, she works with brands from like, literally like from Starface to Playboy. Like that is the the difference of the types of brands that she works with. But the common thread is that they all get it, all the brands that she works with. And they're all using their platforms for something greater than themselves. Like she won't work with you if you're just like not saying anything, which I really value and appreciate and admire. But she just like, she just kills it. Like every time I, I see her, I'm like, how are you like alive? Like, I don't understand. She works so hard and she also like rejects hustle, hustle culture, which like I love. Like she's not like glamorizing how busy she is. But I don't know. She just, she never ceases to amaze me. She's incredible. And she's like behind the scenes of every brand that you love. 
and you just have no oh my idea. Gosh. Okay, she sounds so cool. Maybe we'll need an intro. Yeah, oh, now I want to talk to her. 110%. She is, yeah, Digital Media Architects is the name of her, of her company. Digital okay. Media Architects. Okay. Gabby, thank you so much. This has been such a fun conversation. Everyone in our audience, stay tuned. In a couple days, we'll be hearing from Gabby all about storytelling and writing. So we will see you then. Thank you for having me. Amazing. I love her. She She's like so chill. It feels like you're literally talking to a friend, even though we've never met in person. She's literally. Awesome. She's so easy to talk to. Yeah. And I'm also like geeking out because I just feel like she has such a good perspective on um, like self-awareness and reflection and playing to your strengths. And this whole idea of like vulnerability with boundaries is like candidly not something I truly understand yet, but it's through little conversations like this. I feel like I'm starting to get there. We're getting there. And I love to talk about vulnerability and boundaries, so we can chat. Yeah, um, you're going to hook me up. Well, if you liked this episode and you're curious about freelancing, you want to learn about copywriting or writing in general or best practices, the next episode is for you. So make sure you stay tuned. In a couple of days, we'll be releasing part two with Gabby and we'll leave no stone unturned. That's a promise. That's a promise. Take that to the bank. Okay. And we will see you in a few days. Have a wonderful day. Bye.